You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I remember as a very young child, um, really uh, just the anticipation that would build, um, you know, especially after Thanksgiving, as you know, the days kind of march toward Christmas. I just remember as a young child, just the anticipation that would just build up inside of me the closer and closer it got to Christmas Day. Christmas Eve would finally get here, and it was the only time in my whole life where I ever looked forward to going to bed early that particular night, because I knew once I was in bed, Santa would come and leave all the presents under the tree. I would wake up really super early that morning, and I would sneak out into the living room and just to make sure that he had come and that he was really generous with the presents, Right? And then it seems like time just kind of stopped. And then it just slowly drug until I would eventually hear either my mom and or my dad uh, get up and they were awake. And then me and my siblings, we would all just rush out there into the living room, anxious to start opening gifts. And then once all of the gifts were open, I remember the sinking, dreaded feeling that would just kind of overcome me. And it was this thought, I have to wait another 364 days until Christmas again. And I just, I dreaded that. I hated that thought. And it just seemed like an eternity between that moment and before the next Christmas again. Now, as an adult, I find myself with almost the exact opposite feeling. Is it Christmas again already? And it doesn't seem to just be Christmas anymore. I mean, I find myself kind of asking that same question uh, with other seasons of my life. Is it my birthday again already? It seemed like I just had one last week. Is winter coming again I mean, where did summer, where did the fall go? And like so much in our lives, those times and those seasons seem to come more quickly than ever before. And we're kind of left wondering, where did it all go when it's over? Christmas really is no different. We kind of get caught up and we get swept away by all the hustle and the bustle of the season. And before we know it, Christmas has come and gone. And we're kind of left scratching our heads wondering, where did the time go? Does this sound familiar or is this just me? Yeah, well, we all feel that. And again, I think the challenge that we face, at least one of the challenges we face as we kind of go into and and we move through those seasons of life is how do we do that with purpose and meaningfulness? And particularly when it comes to Christmas, how do we position, how do we purpose 
in our hearts not to allow the secondary things of Christmas, and by that I mean the gifts we give and receive, the decorations, the food, the festivities, and all of these other Christmas activities to crowd out the primary focus and message of Christmas. And that message of Christmas being Almighty God came among us and took on human flesh and became one of us, fully God and fully man. That God would step out of eternity and enter into time and place over 2,000 years ago there in a stable in Bethlehem and that he would come among us as a helpless, dependent, needy little infant dependent on a first-time mother and father, that the limitless, eternal, boundless God would actually limit himself in time and space by becoming a human being. That this little infant would be born, that he would have all the experiences of being an infant, a baby, a toddler, a teenager, and eventually becoming an adult, and one day die on a cross for the sins of the whole world. This infant, born in a stable there in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, that he would be named Jesus, that he would become the clearest, the fullest, and complete picture of who God is and what he is like that we're ever going to see this side of heaven. That, to me, is beyond amazing. I personally, I tell you this, every year in the Advent season, I get lost in the mystery and the beauty of all of that. When I stop and, and contemplate and think through that slowly and methodically and thoughtfully and deeply, I get lost in the mystery and the beauty of that. When you stop and look and think about things like that in that terms, I can understand why we want to pause every year at the same time, again, to contemplate the enormity of what God did in coming to us and among us through his son, Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, for in him, Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, this scripture makes it very clear that Jesus Christ is the personal and the bodily manifestation of all the fullness of God. And to me, this is really what Christmas is all about. Almighty God came to earth as a human being to reveal himself to us so that we might actually know him for who he truly is. And beneath all of the signs and symbols and sounds of Christmas, there is and forever will be a very simple, profound truth that has the power to transform and to change your life both now and for all eternity. And if we're ever going to get to Christmas right, if we're ever going to get Christmas right and keep it right, we're going to have to slow down, and we're just going to have to take some time to purposefully, meaningfully reflect upon the true meaning and message of Christmas. So to help you with that challenge and to get Christmas 
right and to keep it right. Let me help you incorporate three very common Christmas symbols and events that every one of us will have as a part of our Christmas and how we can use those to kind of deepen the meaning and impact of Christmas this season. The first Christmas symbol is the nativity. Now we see them all over, or at least we used to, I remember as a kid growing up, we would go downtown and and we would walk among all of the downtown stores. There would be J.C. Penney's, there would be Sears, there would be Montgomery Ward. There would be all of these retail stores throughout the entire downtown Davenport area and you would walk outside and you would just walk by their windows. And they they had all of these Christmas displays and so you you would just start walking throughout downtown and you'd see all of these nativity scenes. I remember the cemetery uh, there in Davenport. They would, every year, they would set up a huge Christmas display and it was the Christmas story. So you would enter into the cemetery and you would kind of drive throughout the cemetery and they had all of these huge signs with the Christmas story written out and all of these you know, nativity characters everywhere. And and so by the time you went through the entire cemetery, you kind of got the gospel message. You kind of understood the purpose purpose of Christmas. And unfortunately, we don't see that as much now in our culture as I did when I was a child. Now, I'll see them around. I'll sometimes see them outside on lawns. And and here's the thing. If I'm not careful, if I'm kind of, you know, just driving and I'm kind of, you know, in operational mode, I'll see a big nativity scene outside on on someone's lawn. And and you know what thought sometimes comes from the deep well of my life when I see that? I'll look at those and I'll I'll think to myself, where do they store that stuff in the summer? (laughs) That's a real deep thought, isn't it? Or I'll say, don't they know the wise men were not a part of the original nativity? And I'll kind of just begin to pick it apart rather than focus on the larger truth it conveys and and just keep driving by. Now, I want to suggest to you a deeper thought with regards to the nativity scene. And I'm going to just posit this that we link this to a more central reality in our lives. And what I'm going to ask you to do or to think or maybe come right out and say whenever you see a nativity scene, and it is this, that really happened in human history. That really happened. Even though it was over 2,000 years ago, that really happened in human history. Because again, the temptation for you and for me is when we get out there and we kind of get all caught up in in the Christmas madness and we see, you know, nativity scenes and mangers and baby Jesus and Santa Claus, you know, the reindeer, you know, elves and Santa's sleigh, as we're kind of bombarded with all of these Christmas scenes, some fictional, some non-fictional, the temptation is to kind of just take all of that and kind of just lump it together under some kind of broad category of Christmas folklore. Some of that really happened, and some of that is make-believe and fantasy. But when you look at the nativity, there needs to be a constant reminder to us, this 
really happened in human history. We see this pattern, you know, kind of uh, in other areas of our human history. Take, for example, the Holocaust of the Jewish race. There are actually millions of people in our world today and in, in the past generations who do not believe the Holocaust actually happened. Sadly, with all the recent events happening with the October 7th massacre of Jews in Israel, we're seeing a shocking, growing number of people in the United States who are now saying and claiming the Holocaust never happened. And if it did, it was justifiable. They deserved it. You don't have to look very far. You don't have to look hard to find people right here in the United States today that have said the horrific events of this past October 7th massacre was Israel getting what they deserved, their occupiers. And many of these same people will claim the Holocaust never happened. The Jews just made this whole thing up. I may even have a name for them. We call them Holocaust deniers. Even amid the flood of pictures, some of them I'm putting up there, eyewitnesses, survivors, accounts of the atrocities the Jews suffered under Hitler and the Nazi regime, the concentration camps that still exist today. There are people out there who strongly believe and advocate that all of this was a publicity stunt designed to garner sympathy toward Jewish people. And when it comes to the Holocaust, I can understand when you look at the tragic pictures, when you hear the horrific stories of what one part of humanity did to another part of humanity, I can see where it would be very tempting to deny it ever happened because the alternative isn't very attractive. Because if the Holocaust is true, and I believe it is, it serves as a reminder, a much needed reminder of the utter depravity mankind is capable of. And when we see the pictures and we hear the stories, as unpleasant as they may be, we need to constantly remind ourselves this actually happened in human history. And then commit ourselves to make sure something like this never happens again to any part of the human race. As I look around the world, and particularly right here in the United States, I'll tell you, I'm shocked at the present and growing levels of hatred that is being directed toward the Jewish race once again, especially in light of the horrific attacks of Hamas toward Israel on October 7th. That we would currently have elected, seated members of the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., justifying Hamas's actions and condemning Israel for defending themselves against these barbaric acts. There was a time in our country where we stood in complete unified solidarity with the nation of Israel, and it looks like that is no longer the case. We must never 
forget the atrocities that were committed against Israel in the Holocaust, and we must remain committed to ensuring something like this is never allowed to happen again. And just as the Holocaust is a reminder of a very dark part of our human history, the nativity, in contrast, serves as a reminder of the brighter side of our humanity. So with every nativity you look at this Christmas, again, I want you to remember, I want this thought to come to mind or just speak it out. This actually happened in human history. And then I want you to add this sentence, and it happened in part for me. This really happened in human history, and it happened in part for me. God came to this earth over 2,000 years ago, took on human flesh, became one of us, lived among us as a man, died upon the cross for our sins. God shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and gave his life so we could have eternal life. And God did all of this in part for you and for me. So every time you see a nativity scene this Christmas season, I want you to say this really happened in human history and it happened in part for me. Let me give you a second way of getting and keeping the Christmas message and the true meaning of Christmas right and that has to do with music. Now, I have to admit, there's never a time of year that you're going to be exposed to more music than you are during the Christmas season. Now, and some of it is wonderful, it's inspirational, it's glorious, and some of the music that we hear during the Christmas season is just downright bizarre. Now, I remember as a very young kid, the very first time I heard the song, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, I have to admit it left me with a very bizarre and troubled feeling. Why would my mom be making out with Santa Claus? This seemed very weird, and, and honestly, it, it, it was kind of gross to me as a young kid. Now, obviously, the older I got, the more I understood. So you're going to hear a lot of really bizarre Christmas music. Again, both some of it great, some of it bizarre. Now, when it comes to the really good, I mean, the sacred Christmas music, we're going to hear throughout the Christmas music some of that we, we sung here uh, even this morning. Now, again, we can treat it as kind of background noise and not really let it affect us. Or we can really listen to it, listen to the message and allow it to speak to our hearts, allow it to speak to our spirit in deep and profound ways and then link it to the Christmas story much in the same way we did with the nativity. Luke chapter two, verse 14 records the very first Christmas carol ever spoken and it was this, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men. Have you ever just read the words to some of the Christmas carols we sing during this time of the year? One of the more popular and well-known Christmas carols is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Listen to the words of verse one. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, 
Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Wow. That's glorious. That's a great truth. You can camp out on that phrase and just be encouraged by that. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And then just listen to a portion of verse two. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. That is awesome theology there. Again, don't miss the larger point here. This is more than just a Christmas carol. What is being sung about here is an event that really happened in human history, and it happened in part for me. Somewhere on a hillside near Bethlehem, a lone angel appeared and then was joined at some point with the heavenly host. Don't miss that. One angel appeared there and then was joined with the heavenly host and they gave one of the most majestic messages you and I will ever hear. And that message was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men. That first Christmas carol had profound substance and all of the heavenly host was there to proclaim it. And the message they proclaimed was basically this, what God has done. And sending his son, Jesus Christ, to earth is so magnificent, so glorious, so majestic, so awesome that when mankind gets a glimpse of what God has done, you will want to personally and passionately worship him, give him thanks, give him glory in the highest because he deserves it. That first Christmas carol says, and on earth, Jesus is going to bring peace between God and mankind. God and sinners reconciled. God is sending his son to earth to replace that anxious spirit maybe many of us experience this time of year with peace. God is sending his son Jesus to earth to replace those worries we have and to replace them with faith and trust. That's really what that message meant. And so whenever you hear Christmas music for the next few weeks, I want you to remember that first Christmas carol and that message it proclaims. It really speaks to the heart of Christmas. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now a third way that I want to just assemble, that I want to link you to as a way of getting and keeping Christmas right this season has to do with Christmas cards. And I got to acknowledge that Christmas cards don't seem to be as popular now as they were when I was a kid. 
Now, I remember growing up, and, and we would start getting Christmas cards uh, before Thanksgiving. And my mom would hang them on the house on some string. And they would just be everywhere all over the house. And I would love going through and just reading all of the cards and the messages uh, that people would write in them. And, and, and I just got to be honest with you. When I get Christmas cards before Thanksgiving, my first deep thought usually is, whoever sent this to me before Thanksgiving is under-challenged, you know? They, they need a bigger challenge in life is kind of what my first thought is. Maybe they need to find a place to volunteer at the church or in their community. I mean, if their lives are this in order, that they're able to be this far ahead and getting their Christmas cards out before Thanksgiving, they need a bigger challenge in life, right? Be honest, I, am I the only one here who thinks that? Probably. Let me try to redeem myself here. For those of you who regularly send Christmas cards letters, you really understand how this works. Here's what people normally do. Throughout the course of their year, they kind of evaluate their relational world. And when it comes to Christmas, they'll actually kind of sit down and they'll formulate a list, and it's a list of their family and friends. My mom, growing up, actually had kind of a, it was a Christmas card book. And what my mom would do is, is every Christmas card that came in, she would kind of write down the date it came, who it was from, and then she would also record when, when uh, she sent our card to them. And mom, my mom was just very, very organized uh, when, it, when it came to this. And she would just kind of keep this record every year. Now, I never, ever stopped to ask what happened if we sent one to someone but never got one in return. <laughs> I'm, I assume that, you know, you were allowed to only miss so many Christmases, and then you were just deleted from the Christmas book. But any, again, every year, once a year, my mom and, and many other people, they would just kind of sit down, and they would just begin to evaluate their relational world, and they, they would form a list of family and friends, and they would take this annual opportunity to wish other people a Merry Christmas. And they would just reach out and send a card to family and friends, wishing them peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So here's the thing. When you get that Christmas card, even the ones that are sent before Thanksgiving, the first thing you ought to think is, wow. I am on someone's friendship list. That's a wonderful thing. And it affords us an opportunity to thank God for family and friends who have you in mind and want to bless your life with some encouragement via a card. So every time you get a Christmas card this Christmas season, say, God, thank you for family and friends who cared enough to remember me and want to reach out, bless me, and encourage me. Thank you, God, that I am on someone's friendship list. And then before you put it on the stack, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold that card just for a second and remember or say this truth. The Bible says that when I've opened my heart to Jesus Christ, when I put my faith and trust in him, I'm on God's friendship list. It's true. 
Look at what Jesus said in John 15, 14 through 15. You all are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Hereafter, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends. James 2.23 says, Abraham believed God. It says it was imputed or it was paid into his account as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. When you and I believe God and do what he commands as Christy so eloquently talked about this morning, obedience is better than sacrifice. And when you and I do and obey what God commands, it says we are friends of God. Do you know what it means to be on God's friendship list? Do you understand the very best friend that you have in this world, whatever that human friend is, that best friend is flawed, okay? They don't have unlimited time for you. They don't always have the perfect listening skills or empathy or perfect counsel. The best human friend you have, no matter how great, is at some point and place deeply flawed. They try, I try, we all try, but we're all deeply flawed. When you're on God's friendship list, you're in a friendship, you're in a relationship with a truly flawless friend. God's love for you is a love of another kind. You'll never find that love that God has anywhere else in the world other than in him. It's never flawed. It's never lacking. God's listening skills are unparalleled. He's available 24-7. His counsel to you is always wise, true, free, and perfect. His power, his resources are infinite, and he makes them available to you and I. When you are on God's friendship list, you will never, ever be alone. And I know some of you are maybe heading into this Christmas season and you're pretty sure you're not gonna get it right because it's gonna maybe be for you kind of a different and a difficult Christmas because the economy maybe has affected your job, money's a little tight, bills are piling up, and the future kind of seems insane and unsure. For some of you this Christmas, it may reflect an empty chair at the table. Maybe a loved one this past year has died and you can't maybe imagine Christmas without them. For some of you, this will be the first Christmas that you'll be single, maybe because of death and divorce. This may be the first Christmas that you're contending with the imminent loss of someone because of a bad medical report. Some of you, you may even be here this morning and you may be kind of wondering, is this gonna be my last Christmas? Maybe because of some information you have medically. Well, you need to know, take peace and be confident that you do not go into this Christmas season however you go into it alone. You are on God's friendship list. And your heavenly father would come to you now and he is saying to you, you are not alone. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, no matter how big or bad it gets. 
I'll walk with you into and through and beyond everything you're going through this Christmas season. Even if you're facing the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be there. It'll be okay. It might be hard, but we'll get through this together. So whenever you get a Christmas card between now and Christmas Day, you just simply hold it and say, thank you, God, for the gift of family and friendships and that someone thought of me and wants to encourage and speak into my life today. And before you put that card down, you just simply say, and thank you, God. Thank you for the greater miracle that through Jesus Christ, I am on God's friendship list. And his friendship, his companionship is available to me every moment of every day of this season. Thank you, God, that you desire to bless and encourage me. I think if we can do these three things, I believe it will go a long way in helping us to not only get Christmas right, but to keep Christmas right. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Let's just join in our, our prayer of consecration. Again, I invite you just to go ahead, extend your hands out this morning as a way of, again, giving the things to God that need to be given to him this morning and then receiving the things that God has for you this morning. Let's just read this out loud together. Blessed are you, O God, who with your word and Holy Spirit created all things and called them good. In Jesus Christ, your word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We beheld his glory, a glory that fully reflected you, and he was full of grace and truth. We celebrate his birth, for through Christ you came to be close to us, that we might be close to you. Through Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon yourself our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised from the dead this same Jesus who now reigns with you in glory, seated at your right hand and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us friends of God and the people of your new covenant. As we journey into this Advent season, we thank you that through Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. This light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Forgive us for any areas of unfaithfulness in not having done your will, for you have promised your rich mercy to me if I repent and turn to you with my whole heart. I confess my need for you, and thank you for the blood of Christ, which cleanses me from all my sins. Because you are a God of hope, we know that you create all the possibilities of the future, working all things together for my good. Because you are a God of grace, we know that nothing can ever separate us from your love. Because you are a God of mercy, I can call upon you in the day of trouble, and you will answer me and deliver me from my enemies. Because you are the God of our faith, we can enter your gates with thanksgiving and praise. We can come into your presence with gladness of heart, 
and make a joyful noise. And we serve and bless your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.